Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Thank you, worship team, for blessing us. How good to just worship the Lord. I ask you to keep in prayer some of our team. We have a lot of team members out on the road right now. My wife and my three daughters are in Pennsylvania because my wife's little sister is having her first baby. Uh, she has 23-year-old twin sisters. My, my wife does. They're a lot younger than her. And, uh, that you know, we miss a lot by being 10 hours away. So my wife just thought she really wanted to be there for this baby shower, which was last night. So they hit the road on Friday, drove 10 hours. They'll be driving back tomorrow. Please keep them in prayer. So I've been holding it down with Clay. Um, keep me in prayer, too. That's my four-year-old son. I'm the one suffering and all of it. No, I'm just kidding. It's awesome. Also, um, Heather, our adult ministries pastor, it, arrives in Israel soon. She might already be there. And she's going to get to spend uh, a week there to write for this upcoming season for uh, the Mom Life podcast, which is something that she leads here uh, regionally. Keep her in prayer and keep Stephen Houlet in prayer, her husband, who has all three of their kids at home. And then uh, James, who's been helping a lot with our worship as one of our worship leaders, is with his family in San Diego. And um, he, uh, has a, he oversees a sales team for a, an energy company. So he's leading a retreat there for them. Keep them in prayer. How great to have Jaron and Jade here with us today. Jaron leading worship. Thank you, guys. We love the Lagore sisters. Um, and then our, our early childhood director is in Florida with her family, Whitney. So we have team members all over the globe, you know, and so keep them in prayer. And it's part of the beauty of the church. Not everyone is here every week, but we gather faithfully every week to worship. And when we're not here together, we're still scattered as the church. You guys tracking with me? So they're all out doing the work of what God has called them to do in this moment. So keep them all in prayer. We're in this series called Prepare for Tomorrow as God's just been blessing us and as we're seeking the Lord about how he's called us to posture our hearts and to plan. The principle is this, the best way to prepare for the wonders of tomorrow is to dedicate ourselves to the purposes of God today. It's based on Joshua 3.5. Uh, when, when God, through Joshua, told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow I will do wonders among you. And Pastor Oscar kissed, kicked off this, kissed this series. No, he kicked off this series two Sundays ago um, with a message called Consecrate Yourself that was wonderful that you can find on our website. Last week, I talked about how we together consecrate ourselves to the purposes of God for us here locally. So it was really like a vision Sunday for us in the church. You can check that out. And today, we're going to talk about what God's doing globally and specifically how to have endurance in the mission. And we have a couple of missions goals here at the church, and we reiterate them about once a month. We give above and beyond our tithes to missions a lot of us do it every week, but usually something is allotted every month. I encourage you to prayerfully consider that. Um, Peter Good is with us today, who's one of the new missionaries that we're supporting, and we support um, dozens and dozens of them and compassion organizations. And then we also not just want to send money, but we want to have a culture at Graceland Church where we get to, first of all, be missionaries together. When we follow Jesus, we are in the mission of God here locally, but we also want to be a church that, that raises up missionaries that answer the call of God to go, and we don't know who that is. It could be you sitting here, and part of building that culture is hearing from people that are living that out, and I got to be honest with you. 
as a senior pastor, when it comes to bringing in awesome missionaries and, and contending for a missions culture, sometimes I'm double-minded because as a dad, I'm like, do I really want a missions culture? Because my kids might rise up and, and grow up and leave me to go on the mission field. And I'm like, Lord, I'm like wrestling in my heart with that already. Like, God, what if you call my kids over to so-and-so area? But what I really believe is that there's no safer place for us to be than in the center of God's will. And ultimately, of course, that's what I want for my kids. I want them to answer the call of God. I want to be modeling what it is to answer the call of God for them. And I'll just echo what my dad always told me growing up. If you please God, you please me, is what he would always tell me. And let me just encourage you guys with that in your own families and in your own life and in your relationships. And that is our heart. We have Peter Good here. He has an incredible wife and two kids that he's going to tell you a little bit about. But let's welcome Peter up to the front. Good morning, good morning. It's so good to be here. Excited to be in Tennessee for the first time. I drove past Dave Ramsey's structure and I waved. I'm gonna take a picture there later. I, I've been playing drums since I was nine years old and I always wanted to be a rock star. And uh, I, should have, uh, I should have came to Nashville. I heard that's where you all live. And uh, any drummers? Yes, my friend, come on. But it's great to be with you all. Um, like uh, Pastor Nathan shared, uh, my wife and I uh, live in, on the mission field, and specifically we live in Thessaloniki, Greece. Um, we grew up in Reading, Pennsylvania, and, uh, but for the last eight years we've been living there. And uh, Thessaloniki might sound a little bit familiar. If you open up your Bible, Paul wrote a letter, to, two letters to the church in Thessalonica. Um, we call it Niki today. Um, the church that we pastor is actually live right now. Uh, we do church at 6.30 p.m. in Greece because we want all of our friends who were out late uh, till 5 or 6 in the morning. We want them to have a chance to come to church. So I think they're singing goodness of God right now. I should have I warned him that there's probably somebody here with like perfect pitch and you're a vocal coach and you're like a backup singer for Beyonce. So I should have warned him that he was going to be in front of you all, but he just auditioned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, um, but we lead a church in Thessaloniki. Uh, if you think I live on an island, I don't. I actually live in a city with a picture of it, a city of 1.2 million people. Um, those are eight-floor apartment buildings that go on forever and ever and ever. We live in the center of all that chaos. And I grew up on a farm, and so I'm used to a little bit more of this kind of scenario, but I can't imagine not living there. That, has, uh, that place has taken our hearts, and uh, it's a special, special place. Um, I forgot it. My wife, Courtney been married for 14 years. Uh, my daughter, Maven, who is uh, seven years old, and my son, Britton, uh, they're actually all in Greece right now. And uh, I'm here just for a week. And it's really special to be here. And I just want to make a few comments about Greece um, and why we live there um, before we, because I don't want to distract us from the end. Um, Greece is a, a predominantly Orthodox country. Um, but we know that if one generation does not pass on the faith to the next, the faith will die. 
And so we uh, have a population that proclaims to be 98% Greek Orthodox. Only 3% typically uh, attend a religious gathering, and that could be the Orthodox Church and Evangelical Church or Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, and, and Greeks can be interesting in that somebody would say, I'm Greek Orthodox atheist. So I'm Greek Orthodox because this is my culture, but I don't really believe that God is real or alive or exists or is a part of my life. And there's a, there's a whole spectrum in between those two different places. Um, and so we don't exist there to pull anybody away from the Orthodox Church. We have, we have great faith and great um, uh, we support behind the Orthodox Church, but we know that they're missing some people. And so we exist to help people who have not connected there, connect to Jesus within a community um, and the community that we lead right now is Zoe Church. And our passion and our heart above everything else and everything that we do as missionaries uh, within the Assemblies of God, and it is to establish the church. It's to bring people together like this in community. And what we have in Greece um, is a rich history, and it's a beautiful history, um, but there's not a lot of it going on right now. And in fact, we have 16 churches that, would, that we would call our Assembly of God, our Pentecostal brothers, and uh, 16 churches. They could All of the people from all the churches could fit into this room, and they expect five to close in the next decade. And so we know that there's a desperate need in our country, and if we want to see our church multiply and expand and grow, that means we have to raise up leaders. We have to see people find Christ, which means we have to creatively reach them, which means we got to get out into people's life and build them into this thing. And so everything that we want to see someday, we're seeing in the most grassroots way um, in Thessaloniki right now. So that's a little picture. Um, whether we are here in Franklin or we are in Thessaloniki, Greece, we open up our Bibles together. If this is your first time, we open up our Bibles together and we look to God's word for, to be the guide for our life. And so tonight we're going to, tonight, I'm used to PM church. This morning, it's way too early. Who does church at 11, 10 in the morning? This morning, we are going to open up our Bibles and I'm gonna, we're just going to take a little glimpse at uh, two verses in Acts, and then we're going to unpack almost an entire chapter later. Um, and I have, in 2023, I've been doing something uh, called the paper Bible. And I remember uh, growing up in church when bringing an iPad was cool. Uh, let me know, let me, just letting you know, the paper Bible is cooler than the iPad. And so, if you, anybody with a paper Bible? Like four people, six people. All right, next week, count them. All right, so this is Acts 16 verses 25 and 26. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and, other, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaking. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains were loose. Can we pray? God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you that you know every single person in this place, everybody watching online. You know our story, you know what we're walking through right now. You know the hopes and dreams. You know the things that, that we just live in expectation of. And God, I pray that as we have this conversation today, I pray that you would be seen, you would be heard, your heart for us would be understood. God, and that we would move from death to life, that we would move from old ways of thinking to new ways of living in you, God, that you would show us who you are and that we would confidently step into the life that you have called us to live. God, we thank you for this moment. Be with us, in Jesus' name, amen. Two summers ago, uh, our family got sick and tired of the 107-degree heat that we experienced in Greece, and we went to the most non-relaxing place ever, Waterland. It's a little pool and some slides for kids, and uh, the whole entire time we spent 
there, it was chasing our family. It was chasing our littlest ones around. My oldest daughter, Maven, my daughter, Maven, she's the oldest, um, was scared of slides for years. Um, but that year, she wanted to experience all the slides. She doesn't want to waste any time on the little ones. She wants to go to the most impressive, the biggest, and the fastest. And we have to constantly tell her, even still to this day, I'm sorry, Maven, you're not quite big enough for the big slides. My son, Britton, who was four at the time, he moved at a little slower pace. He was content with what was familiar. He was happy to just go down his favorite slide, the green slide. And even though we would try to convince him to do something else, even though we tried to, to, to coerce him into trying something new, it was like he hit a wall. It was like he hit this place in his mind that said, there's a line and I cannot cross it. There's something in front of me that I cannot move through. You and I, we hit walls all the time. Maybe you enjoy writing music or poetry, or maybe you're working on a book. People experience writer's block all the time. Maybe you've been struggling at making some new habits. Maybe uh, you're working on the COVID kilos. It sounds a lot better than COVID pounds, right? And so you're, you're doing some new habits, and you're going for a walk every day, and you're trying to eat some new foods. And then day three comes, and you decide, okay, I'm, this is kind of boring. I'm kind of over this. What's really interesting is that even in our relationship with God, we can and we will face walls. And maybe you have found yourself there at one point in time. Maybe you found yourself in that place where you're, you're hearing from God and, and things are, are growing and there's this excitement for all that you're learning. Maybe you found yourself in a new community just like this and every time you meet together, there's great excitement and expectation that you're going to hear from God and you're going to experience something in his presence. Maybe you started some new spiritual habits. Maybe you're, maybe you're testing out fasting or, or you're participating in communion or, or Sabbath. Maybe you're in prayer or you're in reading your Bibles more. And you see all of this transformation occurring. You're hearing God and you're feeling close to him. And then one day you wake up and God seems silent. You go to church and it doesn't feel the same. You, you sit down to pray and it doesn't feel the same. You, you open up your Bible and it doesn't feel the same. You serve and it doesn't feel the same. Maybe you've, maybe you've stepped out in faith. Maybe you've prayed some bold prayers and you said, God, would you speak to me? God, would you lead me to something? God, I want to I wanna follow your voice. And then you step out. You say yes. You, you go and life seems to get a lot harder. This journey of faith that you and I are on is full of ups and downs twists and turns. We, we expect to, to go from level one to two to three to four with God. We expect our growth and understanding to just move from one level to the next. We expect to experience his presence day in and day out, his blessings visible to us more and more. We think that we will have more clarity, more understanding, more visibility of God's spirit in our life. And then one day we wake up and we're surprised by the silence. We're surprised that we hear nothing. We're surprised that we feel nothing. We're surprised that we feel alone and that God is absent. And we think to ourselves, this is only going to be one day. And then one day turns into a week and turns into a month and turns into a year. These midnight moments affect all of us. My wife and I have been serving in Greece for eight years, and everything we're doing today are things that we never expected that we would do. And everything that we've done over these past years were never in the plans. When we moved to Greece in June of 15, it was three months later that the refugee crisis started, the largest movement of refugees up until now in the, in the discussion of the Ukrainian war. 
was occurring in that moment. And all the people, a million plus people that were moving through Greece to try to get to Germany and France and different European countries, all moved from a border crossing 45 minutes from our house. And so we responded how we could, and we met incredible people, people from Syria and Afghanistan and Iraq, people with the physical wounds all over, the, all over their bodies and the pain that they carried deep within their souls. After almost two years of serving these people, we were asked to now lead Zoe Church. And we never expected it. We, 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 we attempted to uh, build new relationships with people. We, we looked for different ways to build community and, and to bring people into our world. So we, we started doing English classes and open mic nights and music lessons and parties for, for European football. And all of these things were working. We were seeing people come into our life. We would see them get built into our community and we were seeing them come to church. All of it was so good. And then COVID. The world turned upside down. We entered into a 90-day lockdown, followed by a 200-plus-day lockdown. We couldn't leave our house except to get groceries or walk the dog. What do we do in these moments when everything changes? What do we do in these moments when our expectations for what we think this whole thing is going to look like gets turned upside down? What do we do when midnight comes? How we respond to these moments where we need to endure are critical. They will either keep us in the mission, in the plan, in the purposes of God, or they will pull us away. Our response to midnight moments usually falls into a few categories. We either work, we blame, or we run. We're Americans. We love to work harder in these moments. We start praying more. We start showing up to church every time the doors are open. We start to fast we start to cry out to God. We start to try to prove to him just how serious we are because we need him to respond. Some of us, we love to blame. This is definitely somebody else's fault. The reason that I'm a mess, the reason that I have problems, the reason that my world is collapsing, it's probably my pastor's fault. It's my church's fault. It's my leader's fault. We love to blame others. And the third response is to run. Sometimes we run from the place of blame. We, we show up to church and we say, it just doesn't feel the same. I think the Holy Spirit has left this place. And so I'm going to leave this place too. Sometimes we run in a different way. And unfortunately, I know so many who've had these amazing encounters with God, both in the church and in their personal lives. And then one day they hit the midnight moment and they've decided that maybe God's not real. Maybe God's not necessary. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe God's not aware. Maybe God's not interested in dealing with the problems that I'm facing, and so they move on too. Why am I explaining this? Because there's going to come a day in your faith journey where you will hit this moment. Some of you, you're in it right now. Maybe it's in your relationship with God. Maybe it's in your obedience in doing what God has called you to do. This very dark place is something that could possibly pull you away from faith. But it could be the thing that so transforms your life, so transforms your connection to and understanding of who God is. We were in lockdown for 90 days in the summer, and then we began in October, a 200-day lockdown. It was in November that I had this moment, we, we, we had curfews, two different types of curfews. The first one was that you were not allowed out of your house for any reason from 9 p.m. until 6 a.m. 
And then we started the weekend special. And the weekend special was when you could not be out of your house from 6 p.m. until 6 a.m. And I remember this moment sitting on these ancient uh, castle walls, which Paul would have walked by these walls. I'm sitting on these walls, and, and, and it is 6.30 at night, and, and I am completely overwhelmed by this moment. And, and I have some worship on in my, my ears, and I'm just listening to some things. But I was, in a, I was in a heavy place, a place of fear, a place of insecurity, a place of having no idea what the future was going to look like, a place of not being sure if there would ever be a church that would ever rise out of these ashes. And then I started to listen to this song, I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you will hear my praise roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. And I just began to wep. And what I really wish I could say right now was that that was the last moment. And from those days, it's been the best years. But what I can tell you is that this past year has been the hardest year of my life. The most confusing year of my life. St. John of the Cross wrote these words, the dark night of the soul. It was a phrase to describe a moment in faith where we are facing the wall, where we're facing this midnight moment. It's probably how Paul would describe the feelings that he had the night that he found himself in a prison cell in Philippi. We find Paul in Acts 16 in a new land. He's serving in a new city. He's serving in Greece. He's doing the very things that God has asked him to do. He has moved to this place because while hoping and expecting to go to Asia, God said no, and he received a message in a dream to go to Macedonia. We read in Acts 16, 11 to 15, that Paul has seen the first person come to Jesus in Europe. Lydia has come to Jesus. Paul and Silas, they've, they've traveled outside the city walls. They've gone to this, to this riverbed. And there they find some people seeking God. And this woman, Lydia, receives Jesus. And everybody in her household is baptized. Paul is continuing to live inside this city. And as he is walking through, he is taunted by a girl who is possessed with a demon. And we pick up the story in verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She learned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul got so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that hope, their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept their practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. The magistrates were these regional authorities that existed in the Roman colonies. And their, deal, their responsibility was to deal with disputes and conflict. In Philippi today, you can go to the very place that the magistrates worked from. You can go to the very place that Paul was brought. He was brought to this raised area, the Bema Seat. And often there was a gate surrounding him because the crowds would get so rowdy in their demands of the magistrates. He's brought before them, and, and as these people are making their case, the magistrates make the decision that they need to be 
beaten with rods. Magistrates had six men who worked with them. They were called lictors. They came alongside of them as enforcers. They were both an image of authority, but they were also an enforcement of judgment. Each man carried rods, six to eight, about the size of your finger. They were two meters long, and they were banded together with leather. When a person was beaten with rods, they were stripped naked. They were hung by their feet. And historians tell us that when somebody was beaten by rods, most of the bones in your ribs were broken, your arms were fractured, your hands were fractured, and at times the Romans would intentionally break the feet. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 11 that he is beaten three times by rods. This is one of them. Verse 22 says, The crowds joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods after they had been severely flogged. Paul is flogged by whips. These whips would have been, uh, had, had, had pieces of leather that maybe three, six, twelve. They had sharp objects in them. They had hooks of metal in them. And there was one purpose, to remove the flesh of the individual being whipped. They would have strung up the individual against a post and two men would have removed the skin from the back of the knees to the top of the neck. Paul tells us in Corinthians that five times he endured this. After they had been severely flogged, verse 23, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Paul is set into the inner cell, the most secure location. Behind many gates of iron, he is in complete darkness. There is no light. There is no fresh air. The location of the prison in Philippi is believed to be an old water cistern. It was a wet place. The smell of human feces, of urine, would have been overwhelming. The, the, the soil is covered in blood. And Paul is set into stocks. In, uh, in, in our world, we, we think of the, the, the Puritan stocks where somebody would have their, their hands and their feet placed before them. But the Romans loved torture, and so, and so they, placed, uh, they placed men in stocks, and they would separate their legs as far as physically possible. And they would stretch their body out. Now remember, Paul is, Paul is he has no skin on his legs. He has no skin on his butt. He is in the soil. His bones are broken and he is being twisted. His body is cramping. He is in excruciating pain. I don't know how somebody speaks. I don't know how words come out of our mouths. But it says that about midnight, Paul and Silas, began to pray and began to sing. Midnight moments. Midnight moments are the perfect way to describe these dark moments of life. Can you imagine the pain of this moment? Can you imagine the questions they are asking? Paul Paul and Silas, they've listened to God's voice. They've They've said no to Asia, and they've gone to Macedonia. And within days, this is their situation. 
They've said, I will be obedient. I will do what you've called me to do. Yet now Paul finds his body twisted, sitting in darkness. You and I sometimes crumble so easily under the pain and challenges we face. It doesn't take much for us to quit. It doesn't take much for us to step away from something when it becomes too uncomfortable. This midnight moment was one of God's finest work in the life of Paul. The Romans, they, they used their power, their authority, they used their skill to inflict pain, to punish and to manipulate and to control. But even with all of that that was happening to their bodies, it could not change who they were on the inside. And so at midnight, they began to sing. And suddenly God broke into their reality. The other prisoners were there listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that shook the foundations of the prison. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, do not harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then, thought, he then brought them out and asked, Sir, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. When they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set before them a meal. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, him and his whole household. The entire time that, that Paul is suffering, the entire time that Paul is enduring this pain, he's carrying something with him. He's carrying with him a document that, that informed others that he was a citizen. Only 10% of the population actually had citizenship. It was never enough within a trial for you to just say, hi, I'm a citizen. No, you had to prove it. You had to prove it with the document. Yet even with this document in hand, he chooses to endure this pain and suffering. He chooses to trust the Holy Spirit. He chooses to trust where God was leading him. We know that the jailer is saved. And I think that is, that is something to celebrate. We celebrate salvation. But I think Paul's example of suffering is the greater message that is being communicated to you and I. And it's a question we have to ask ourselves. Are we willing to suffer as Jesus suffered? Paul would later write to the church in Philippi, to the jailer, to the household who cleaned his wounds, to Lydia, who he led to Christ at the pool. He would write a letter in Philippians 3, 10 to 11. I want to know Christ. Yes. To know the power of his resurrection. We see that in the conversion of the jailer. We celebrate salvation. And participate in his sufferings. Becoming like him in death. Paul knew the joy of Christ's salvation. He experienced it firsthand. He, he, he watched it 
come about in so many people's life, the joy of salvation. But Paul found deep connection to Jesus in the suffering that he endured. You and I have been invited to experience the beauty of Jesus in the same way. To know the power of salvation and the beauty of suffering. Will we find ourselves like Paul? Maybe, maybe not. Who knows where God's going to call some people? There's some dark places in the world. But for every single one of us right here, right now, in whatever context that we live in, will we say yes to Jesus? Will we endure when it's painful? The last day that, that my family and I were at Waterland, Britain just kept saying, no, I can't do another slide. I can't do another slide. And he refused to try anything else. And, and, and he would grab me in fear when I would bring him to something other than the green slide. And finally, I said to him, I said, buddy, buddy, we'll, we'll do it together. I'll hold your hand. I, I, I won't let you go. Little Britain, full of fear, completely insecure, unsure of what he was about to experience, said okay. And we walked up to the big slide. Britain climbs in. I climbed in behind him. We go down. We turn left. We turn right. We splash into the water. And I asked little Britain, hey, do you want to do it again? And he paused. And he thought a minute. And he said, I'm not, I'm not scared. I'm not scared. Something deeper in Paul was motivating him in this moment. And I think he reveals it in Romans 8. Verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword? Were the rods in Philippi going to separate me? Was the whip in Philippi going to separate me? Were the broken bones in Philippi going to separate me? Was the skin peeled from my body in Philippi going to separate me? He says, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any power, nor any height or depth, nor anything else that exists in all of this creation that surrounds us will be able to separate us, will be able to separate me, will be able to separate you, will be able to separate our kids, will be able to separate the people that we love and that we care for from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You and I today are called to the place that we exist in. We're called to this land. We're called to our neighbors. We're called to our coworkers. We're called to the school boards. We're called to the places that we enjoy in life. We're called to those places. And there may come a day that we face pain. There may come a day when we face hardship. There may come a day when we face the wall and the darkness that surrounds us and the midnight moments feels overwhelming. We can run. We can blame. We can work or we can stand in confidence that there is nothing that can separate us from this love. Nothing that can happen to this body that can separate me from his love. It may be hard. It may be dark. It may be overwhelming. 
there might not be a lot of hope. Nothing can separate you. Here we are, Franklin, Tennessee, called to reach this city, called to consider the future that God has for us. And there I exist in Thessaloniki, Greece. Let's go. Let's endure. Let's serve. Can I pray? God, I thank you for every single person here. You know their name. You know their story. You know what they're facing. God, you know the plans and purposes for all of our lives. You designed them. You built us in a way that we would step into those things full of your grace, full of your power and ability in us. God, I pray that as we step into the things which you have prepared for us, I pray, God, that we would find our security, that we would find our identity in you. That if there are dark moments that we are facing today, if there are dark moments to come, that we would remind ourselves again and again that there is nothing, 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 nothing that can separate us from the love that you pour out on us. God, that love is overwhelming. That love makes absolutely no sense. We don't deserve it. It overwhelms us. God, but in light of who you are, because we know the sacrifice in sending Jesus, because of the, the life that you call us to live, God, we choose to say yes to you again and again. God, I pray over this house. I pray that we would be a church that continues to dream big dreams, continues to be a place that looks beyond these four walls and says, how can we change this county? How can we change the cities that surround us? How can we bring Jesus into every single corner, God? And I pray that you would empower every single person here to be your hands and feet in this world, to be your people that carry the love and grace and mercy, that we would be voices of hope, God, that we would be people of peace, that we would be those who go into the darkest corner of the world with the light of Jesus and make a difference there, God. And so as we all step into our callings, as we all step into the places that you have prepared for us in such diversity and in such beautiful ways that you have made for us, God, I pray that we would step confidently, full of your peace, full of your assurance, with a heart that says, God, I'll say yes. God, I'll say yes. God, I'll say yes. There's nothing that can separate us. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, can we thank Peter for that incredible message? Can you guys stand with me around the room? And Peter, can you come back up for one minute? I want to pray for you. I forgot to say this at the beginning, but the reason we know each other is because our wives went to Bible college together at Valley Forge Christian College, and I'm grateful they did. Um, Peter was at my wedding, and I didn't even know it because, uh, you know, he was, they were there as like Jessica's friends, you know, and, and now all these years later getting to, to lock arms. Um, wasn't that an awesome message? Don't you hear his heart? Yeah. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Peter and his incredible family. I, I pray a really simple prayer that they would have just resolved to continue uh, the yes before you. It's just that simple. Um, they're not doing things because they decided to do it. They, they, they haven't come up with something and that's just like a, a business plan or a strategy. They've just said yes to knowing and following Jesus. And they have said yes to the point that it's taken them to a different part of the world. And they're raising their kids there. And they're going through extreme circumstances there. And they're facing walls there. They're walking the same streets that some of the apostles walked. And the country there uh, is in many ways very, very, very far from you. 
And I know he's trying to say it gently, but it is, even though it has this orthodox culture, it's a completely post-Christian nation. And we pray that God, their resolve and obedience would bear fruit and fruit that lasts, Lord. May it be beyond them. It's probably going to surprise them, even how it comes. We have no idea. But God, as he lets go and his, and his wife and their precious kids, may they be able to let go of, of worrying too much about the results and everything that's happening and the things in the world they can't control and let them just cling to knowing and following you and trusting you with where everything lands because yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power and yours is the glory forever. And we're under assignment. That's it. And so I pray for tremendous courage and strength for this family that I love and admire. And and we consider them part of our family. And we're grateful to partner and pray. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. The way we support missionaries, guys, is I encourage everyone in the church to prayerfully consider, give something above and beyond your tithe and what you give regularly to missions. You'll find it in our drop-down menu on our webpage. And we highlight something at least once a month don't always have a live missionary but it's awesome to have you here peter by the way thank you for we get to we get to coach and pour into other church planners and people and 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 he is responsible within the assemblies of god for sharing the heart of being a part of the global mission of god with new church planners isn't that cool and the same events that i oftentimes am getting to coach and work with church planners he's sharing so we have some in nashville this week um i encourage you to give what my wife and i do we're not taking an offering right now this is just habit. We're trying to build habits, you know, and things that we'll do for a lifetime. Um, So what my wife and I do is we try to raise our tithe every year. You know, I know that makes it not truly a tithe because it's more than that 10%. And then we try to raise what we give to missions. And I'm praying that our church as it grows would be an army of people that that are treating our finances like that. And then we also, of course, respond to things like offerings and things of that nature. But I'm believing that God has called us to let a lot of funds flow through us to global missions like the goods and to what God is doing all around the world. So what a joy to worship with you. I'm going to pray this benediction. Uh, then we'll be dismissed, church. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you all very much. Have a great rest of your day.